up, Energy Fam? This is Justin, and welcome back to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. My goal with each episode is to deconstruct the minds of today's energy thought leaders to uncover their framework and tools used in their journeys of providing energy to the world. So sit back, relax, and remember that everything you see around you requires some form of energy. All right, well, welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Houston Cannon with Jenna Blair Lee, Senior Client Advocate, Completions Enthusiast at drill to frac also real estate investor, hashtag life savvy, <laughs> wife, Christ follower, fur baby mom, near Wellbore Rock Properties, and depleted fracture identification. Kind of a mix of everything, but ultimately... Like, what don't you do or what are you not interested in is the question, because that's your tagline on LinkedIn. And I had to make sure I referenced all of it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I like to dabble in a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. What do they call it? Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, I'm very, I I very much fall into that bucket, too. So uh, that's totally fine. And so it was interesting for the audience out there. If you're wondering whether it's Jenna or Blair or a combination of both Jenna or Blair, depending on (laughs) who you are and your relationship with her. Apparently, that's her stage name. And of course, my eyebrows were raised. Jenna, could you please elaborate on what you mean by your stage name? So I am a former country music recording artist and I went by Jenna Blair. So yes, I don't mean that in terms of like stripper stage-ish. Right. I mean that in terms of like <laughs> actual like... Yeah, like professional singing purpose. stage. Yes, <laughs> yeah. no. But I mean, it can, depending on, you know, you, your life experiences, it could be taken a few different ways. Uh, but no. Yeah, I've had that comment a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have. And you've so, had to explain it. Which hashtag is, clarify. Yes. Well, now that you've put it out there, please give us a few <laughs> notes. Here we go. And I, Oh, seriously? I, I would do some beatboxing, but you said you didn't say rap artist. You said country, and I don't know how yeah. to beatbox country. But could you please spit a few bars for us or sing something? <laughs> I've been waiting to ask you this the whole time. Oh. Oh my God, this is like, okay. Like your go-to, like you're at a party, everyone knows you, this is like your favorite song. Okay, so my party trick is actually yodeling, but I have to like warm up to do that. Because if I don't, I would sound like I was going through puberty. (laughs) (laughs) That would be horrible. I wish this was live so we could take a vote, either yodeling or (laughs) country singing, but you get to pick, you're the Um, master here. Okay, I'm actually going to do my go-to, which is actually the Star Spang. I'll just do a little bit of the national anthem. Yes, let's go. That's what people usually hire me for, I guess. Okay. Okay, give me just two seconds. All right, I won't watch you. I'll pretend like I'm not looking. Maybe that'll make you less nervous. I got to find my note. Okay, find it. Okay. I can't believe I'm doing this on a podcast. No, I can. Let's do it. Oh, Lord. Okay. Oh, say can you see... By the dawn's early light, what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight o'er the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And I'm not going to do the rest because I'll blow everyone's ears out. Let's go, Jenna Blair. Yeah. I actually did that on a freaking golf course in Midland. Oh, my. For a WTGS thing because someone's like. God, that was amazing. I dare you. And I was like, hold my beer. What? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so that was so badass i'm oh, so thanks. proud that you did that because i've had people come on that are like oh I, you know, like i do guitar and singing and this and that and like no one actually wants to sing yeah uh, but you just came out and did it i do it I every like week I was, yeah where what i sing at new hope church in pearland oh my goodness yeah wow okay so um yeah that's amazing so my wife i tell this to her all the time she is a the most beautiful voice so when we first started <gasps> dating I was like, you have to go on American Idol. Like, you would crush. She likes it, but, like, only on her own time. And like, yep. she can never take herself serious. So she always sings and then thinks it's funny or whatever. And I'm like, no, like, you have something. Like, mm-hmm. I can tell you have a voice. And, I mean, she never wanted to, like, do it publicly. She doesn't mm-hmm. – she hates attention, which is funny because, like, she posts on LinkedIn all the time and, you know, this, that, and the other. But she does not that, like though. the attention. Mm-hmm. And then now she's been speaking, you know, for real estate conferences and stuff. And she's just like, oh, like – I love like just conceptually like me being able to share my, you know, story or share 
you know, knowledge and thus, but like to be on stage and then people come up to her after she hates it. So long story short, she (laughs) never committed to like singing, you know, on like a stage. Do you enjoy that? Which I would love to do. Like if I could sing, I would sing every day to like tons of people, but I'm not a good singer. I definitely do give myself private concerts in my car. On the daily. Nice. So if you see me driving, I was going to you say, see, yeah. you'll see me through my windshield. <laughs> I am totally blaring at the top of my lungs. So I used to really love it in the sense where like I would sing everywhere. It was like, I mean, I was going to be Faith Hill. I was going to win a Grammy. I was going to graduate from high school early and go to Nashville. Like I was going to do the whole thing. What? And I recorded my demo and I had a manager already set. She managed Leanne Rhymes, who was my idol. And okay. like, we were going to go for it. I was, I think, 15 at the time. What? I couldn't get booked at gigs because all of the bars were 18 and up and I was 15. Hmm. So, you know, they're like, okay, that's fine. Just record a little bit more. We'll start, you know, I would sing at county fairs. I sang the national anthem all over DFW. What? I sang for Fort Worth Cats, the... Outlaws. It was a bunch of the farm teams for the baseball. I sang at all of our sporting events for my high school. I was going to say, like, I could see yeah. you being on the field at, like, the Super Bowl or something. Yeah, right? <laughs> I did the national anthem for varsity teams, and yeah. I only forgot the words once. Really? But what, what? I auditioned for American Idol. Oh, you did? And it was the most traumatic experience for me, and I wouldn't <sighs> let's I hear about sing it. for eight years. Oh, my goodness. This is okay. insane. Okay, let's so back so up, go I through can, this. Yeah, so... I had graduated high school early because I was going to go to Nashville and I was going to do the whole shebang. Wow. And my mom was like, okay, we're going to do American Idol. It's in San Antonio. My parents live in Cinco Ranch. So it was like a two hour drive. Right. Woke up at three o'clock in the morning, drove in at four, went to the Alamo Dome. And when they pan at the beginning of American Idol, like OG first 10 seasons, I guess. Okay. This was the season after Carrie Underwood. They'll see a line wrapped around the Alamo Dome or whatever. Mm-hmm. That is the very first audition, okay. right? So that's like first day of auditions, open call. So we were there in line for maybe five hours. And then you walk into this call of CM and then they have five tables. And at five tables, they have four people sat and those are producers. Then they break you up into groups and they basically have you four in a row, four deep. And they point and they give you 10 seconds. Next, 10 seconds. Next, 10 seconds. To sing? To sing. So, oh, so you don't actually all go into the thing no, where you're no, getting no, no, filmed? No, 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 no. That is round four. Oh, what? So I have had vocal coaches forever. And I worked so hard. And I sang How Do I Live by Leanne Rhymes. And I, okay. of course, because I had 10 seconds, I started on the very high chorus, which is the very last chorus in the song. Did you know that you were, like, you saw this I happening? I had no so- idea I had 10 seconds. But until picked, it happened? Until it happened. But and I picked, didn't you see people getting pointed out already, though? Yeah, because you're sitting in the thing. So when you watch it happen, you're like, oh, I only have 10 seconds. Okay, so you, you yeah. saw it happen. And I then saw your, it happen. Your head, you, obviously, your mind was spinning. You're like, oh, my goodness. Where yeah. Am I okay. So I was like, I'm going to like go in with the punch, right? right? Yeah, like go all in. Yeah. And I've always had a very large lung capacity, I guess. Okay. Like there's no accident that my middle name is Blair because I'm, I sing very loud. <laughs> okay. So my mom could hear me at the top of the Coliseum and she was like, oh my God, she nailed it. And I freaking did. But the person next to me was horrible. I mean, horrible. Okay. But they gave him the yellow sheet to go to round two. Thinking it was you? No. They were looking me dead straight in the face. And I'm like, I've worked my entire life for this. Like, I sounded really good. I've worked really hard. What? Yeah. And it was like when you watch those shows and you see those people that like can't sing at all, they let them through for ratings. And so they let him through and he went after me and he they let him through and they're like, okay, the rest of you, thank you for your time. You're done. So that was strictly for the show. It wasn't based. It was like just subjective. Like who can we get on to make yeah. ourselves look like a fool so we can get good ratings. Yes. But like the people who could actually sing, a lot of them don't make it through. Correct. What? Yeah. Oh, my whole thought about it American Idol it. just completely I ruined. I know. Damn it. So when you see the people in the room with the judges, that's like phase four, and that's like four or five months after the fact. So Seriously? you have to go through two or three rounds, so, and then what? they do a callback for the televised audition. My mind is blown right now. So I didn't sing in public for almost eight years. Just crushed. I thought I sucked. Oh my God. I thought God. I was like, oh my God, my entire life is a lie. <laughs> I suck at singing. <laughs> like, my parents are the worst Jesus. parents for encouraging me to do this. Like, you yeah, know? sweetie, you're the best. Yeah. But then, like, just. And not both of my parents are professional musicians. So, you know, I'm like, come on. 
Oh. It's in my blood. So in a weird way, you know, according to LinkedIn, you're a uh, Christ follower. Yes. yes. And so in that world, it's like everything, like God does things for us, not to us. That was my God-given us, gift. Right? Yeah. But looking back, like you didn't make it for a, a reason. Now, Correct. it wasn't because you weren't a good singer, but right. like life is does things for us, not to us. Why do you think that happened? So when I was 12, I was at church camp okay. and I... Not band camp. Not band camp. Although okay. I did play the clarinet. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I was at church camp and I was in this bunk or whatever. And this girl was really sad because her grandma just died. And I was telling her about a song that gave me a lot of comfort. It's called On the Side of Angels. Yet another Leanne Rhymes song. Okay. Obviously, I had an I think obsession. my parents listened to Leanne. Yeah. Leanne Rhymes? Yeah. Okay, sounds familiar. Yeah, so this was 90. She was 15 when she recorded her first album. And so this girl asked me if I could sing it. And so I sang it at 12 years old, and I sang it. Wow. And she cried, and the counselor in the room was like, you have a gift. And I heard a voice say, you're going to minister through your music. So when I didn't make it through American Idol, and I didn't sing in public anymore, I made a decision that if I sing, it will only be in church. Whoa. And I've stuck to that almost ever since. My except for was, today. Except on, for today. On Wicked Energy, you say. National so, Anthem is, you know. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> You're talking Very about Very patriotic. Like, ah, yes. Okay. Um, but this gift is not my gift. It was bestowed upon me. I sure. think God gave me this gift for a reason, for wow. the purpose of ministering through music, because what? music speaks to me. Yeah. And I've sang at funerals. I've sang at, I really don't enjoy doing weddings, but I've sang at funerals before. I usually sing behind a partition because it's really hard for me to sometimes look at the family. Oh my goodness. I can um, imagine. Yeah. But that's intense. That's how I got my recording was singing at my mom's RA's husband's funeral. That was a lot. Wow. But she asked me to sing and I sang Jesus Will Still Be There, which is a song my dad and I did together all the time. Were your parents very religious? My dad's a minister. And a professional musician. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Very talented family. Very talented family. My mom was in a group called Carousel. They toured all over Denver. Yeah. They auditioned for the Lawrence Welk show, so she knew my fear. (laughs) But yeah, I I sang at this funeral, and there was a gentleman there who was a real estate agent, but also a producer, and he said, I want to work with you. And so I started singing with him at his church, and then that basically turned into me doing a demo and all of that. But it was just weird because when I am able to remove myself from it, I don't know who it is that's singing because it's not me. Whoa. Like I'll hit notes that I can't hit. So it's like this energy that just like comes in and takes over. It's not me. And so I am one of the vocalists at multi-site church in Pearland. I'm singing there tonight. And then I also sing there on Sundays. Wow. And that's basically why I feel like I have this gift. So I'll do it for the sake of, I don't really do it as a party trick anymore, you know? <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I but think it's that's a, why... There's a greater purpose for yeah, singing. I wow. think he, I think it was... And my dad also said, when I had an opportunity to sign a contract, he goes, look, I'm going to sit you down and let you know, if you choose this, then you're going to watch all of your friends live the rest of their lives, get married, have kids, mm. get careers, and you're going to be living out of your car... In your late 20s, you're going to have to make a decision because you really only have 10 years of prime vocal talent. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wait. So then how do, I guess, because like musicians and like, you know, certain artists, they have pretty lengthy careers. Is it? So it's like a muscle, right? So anytime you're working on your vocal cords and you have to do training and you have to do warmups, those warmups are, you know, like you wouldn't just walk into a gym and deadlift your PR. Right. Like you've got to stretch. Okay. You've got to work up to it. Okay. So if you don't take care of your voice, it'll change. And then also your hormones change and that changes your voice as well. So I can't go as high now as I could in my 20s. No way. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, I think that was, you know, good on your dad for sending you down. I mean, like, hey, yeah. there's going to be a fork in the road and, yeah. and you're going to have to make a decision. Yeah. He basically was like, choose life or fame. And I'm going to choose the oil field. Yeah. <laughs> At the time, I had actually, that wasn't even on my radar. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That didn't happen until my brother-in-law got into Cameron. Interesting. And I, my brother-in-law get along really well. He's like the male version of me. Cool. And when I was studying PR in school, we had to write a press release and they said, pick something, a current event 
that you're going to write a press release about. And at the time, Cameron was buying another smaller service company. I can't remember. It started with an N. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to pick that. And then 48 hours later, Deepwater Horizon happened. Mm -hmm. And so that is what thrusted me into understanding the oil field more. And I remember my brother-in-law talking about it because he worked at Cameron at the time. And I was like, that is so fascinating to me. And then he was talking about the BOPs and stuff like that. I'm like, ooh, what's that? So you have a high level, like you have a sense of curiosity, it sounds like? I have a very high sense of curiosity, almost to the point where it gets me in trouble because once I find something that I'm really curious about and I know more about it, I want to know everything. Mm -hmm. And if I, like... To put it to you this way, when I got into core and fluid analysis and I understood PVT and I'm like, this is like really cool. And it made a lot of conceptual sense to me. I went home and I'm like, I'm going to go back to school and get my degree in engineering. My husband's like, maybe not. Let's not do that. (laughs) Did you do that? No, you didn't do it. Okay. Okay. So you took your husband's advice. Good. Yeah. And then not to deviate from the story, but speaking of your husband, Jason Lee is also quite active on LinkedIn from Barry. Yeah. And I saw you posted it was his birthday recently. Uh, happy birthday, Jason. Happy Yesterday. birthday, honey. Yeah. Okay. My wife's birthday is July 18th. So is he oh, a cancer cool. then? or He's on the cusp. Okay. Well, so tell us about his birthday. You know, anything special or just low key or? No, we put together furniture that I bought on Amazon. and <laughs> Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we both spend a lot of time in the day really diving into our own worlds. Yeah. So when we get home, it's kind of a little bit of a disconnect. Cool. He works a lot on the real estate side of what we're trying to do when he has a moment. So we kind of just did that. We usually hang out, watch TV, but we Good. really just sat down last night and just caught up. Yeah, that's very important, especially, and yeah. again, by what I read on LinkedIn, your fur baby mom, I'm just going to assume that you, do you have kids or is it just the fur baby? So I have a stepdaughter. Okay. I don't have any bio kids of my own, but okay. I have two dogs and a cat. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're a big pet lover. I am. Okay. Because yeah, yeah if, if you weren't, I'd be surprised that you put that as part of your LinkedIn tagline. But oh, no, I'm obsessed with my animals. <laughs> okay. So tell us about your fur babies. So I have a cat whose name is Tig and I found him outside of a restaurant in Pasadena. Whoa. Rescue cat? Sort of. My mother-in-law took me to get a couple glasses of wine so i had just enough of a buzz (laughs) that when the cat came outside yeah yeah. no literally this cat came up to me (laughs) and he goes on his hind legs and reaches up like he wants to be held and i go kitty and then the next thing i know i'm in my mother-in-law's car with a cat in my lap and i look at her and i'm like oh my god is this okay (laughs) is this normal yeah this is fine So I took him I home. love the spontaneity there. It's just like a random cat. Yeah, probably should take it home. Yeah, uh, give it a good life. But yeah. he, oh, you have a he big heart. Me, That's good. Man. Yeah. So yeah, so I have that cat. How old is Tig? So I have had him for five years. So we're going to say seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then there's Georgia, who was our newest addition. She is a pit bull that we rescued. Oh, nice. I freaking love her. She's amazing. She's named after George Jones, who is okay. one of our favorite old school country artists ever. Oh. And then we have Bear, who is my husband's dog. And he is an English Mastiff. And he's 12. I pictured a big dog. Very big dog. Okay. Very big baby. Oh. But they're like my little ducklings. So oh. when I get up in the morning, they follow me single file into the kitchen for their <laughs> treats and their food. I'm like, not even kidding. <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, they're, okay. they're my babies. Good. So I didn't grow up in a family where we had very many pets. We had a cat. We didn't take, I say we, I didn't particularly do a great job of taking care of Snowy was the cat's name. <laughs> yeah. I accidentally, I was supposed to take it to the vet during like the middle of the winter in Canada. And so of course it's cold, lots of cold. snow. And I didn't realize Snowy wouldn't want to take a ride in my truck so I just, you know, took Snowy, put her on the front seat and started driving and she was not happy, started clawing, hissing. Like it was just, I was just like, oh my goodness. So I got there, opened the door and Snowy jumped out and ran as fast as she could in the snow, which I proceeded to take about three steps and said, eh, sorry. And then I got in my truck and went home. Terrible idea. I was like 17 at the time. I didn't really like the cat to begin with, but I don't know how we ended up even getting the cat. But long story short, you know, her go home. Hey, mom, Snowy didn't make it to the vet. She jumped out of my truck and now I can't find her. So she freaked out and was like, Justin, are you like, you didn't go get the, our cat. You just let it run off. I was like, mom, it ran like so fast. I can't run through the snow that fast. 
So she was like super mad. And then it was, I'll never forget. I was sitting, I had, you know, a friend was over after school sometime in the spring. Cause I remember like vividly, it was nice out, no snow on the ground. So it was, and it was warm. I'm sitting at home and our home phone rings and I answer it. And I was like, hi, this is the SPCA. We have a cat here and I think it belongs to someone who lives at this house or whatever. Like basically like, are you missing a cat? And yeah. I was like, no way. Snowy survived? I was like, yes. Is it white? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, but you know, if you'd like to come get it, you know, we just asked that, you know, like, please take care of it. Like basically it was like, you let this cat basically almost die. Someone brought it to us and we've been taking care of it. And now, you know, it's not on its deathbed and you're, the owners can come get it. But we want to make sure that the owners actually want the cat. Because if not, then we can get it a good home. I was like, no, my mom's going to be stoked. Like, <laughs> this will be great. And so I went to go get Snowy and Snowy had no ears and no tail. Oh, no. Snowy got frostbite. Thanks to me. <laughs> yes, I do apologize. Snowy, rest in peace. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, this is an interesting looking cat. So I get Snowy, bring her home. Didn't tell my parents. My mom came home. And like went nuts. She was like, where did you get Snowy? And of course, Snowy had like no ears. And so, but Snowy proceeded to live for quite a long time. You know, cats have many many lives. She survived. And it was always the funny thing. I hosted a lot of house parties when I was growing up because my parents would travel a lot for work. Um, Yeah. So I had like lots of house parties and everyone thought it was so funny to come see the cat that (laughs) had no ears and no tail. And so it was like kind of a you know a thing at the parties. Everyone was like, "Oh, we're snowy." And but yeah, to this day, I haven't owned a cat since then, nor any other pets. My wife had a dog, Heidi, which she loved, and yeah, I had a little bit of an emotional connection there. But my dad, he didn't. So we delivered furniture. He had a furniture store, and we delivered furniture growing up. And his biggest pet peeve was dogs that would like run and like nip at him when he was trying to carry furniture. So growing up through osmosis, I saw him get mad at dogs. And so then I was like, well, I don't like dogs either because my dad doesn't like dogs. And I got bit as a child from a dog. So like me and dogs, like I don't dislike pets by any means. Like I love every human being, animal, everything. I've just never been like, oh, I love animals. But my wife does. So I can get where that's coming from. But a big shout out to your fur family. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's cool. But I think the companionship, I think, is really neat. And to see people's relationships with their animals and their pets, is it's fascinating. And I think, actually, I did. I tried to get a dog in college because I was in school, I was bored. And I was like, well, if I'm going to study, why not have a dog? And I somehow stumbled across an oversized pug. Um, oh, Lord. Yeah, it was very odd. So I picked it up, and it wasn't neutered. And so it was very messy. <laughs> And I went to school one day and I came home and like the walls were completely demolished with like claw marks because I put the, his name was Yogi in the kitchen and he didn't want to be in there. So there was lots of accident on the ground and lots of clawing at the walls. So me and Yogi, you know, we parted ways shortly after that. So anyway, yeah, it's my wife always tells me how much I'm not good with animals. So she doesn't want me to get a pet. Anyway, enough about that. This is an energy podcast, but it's something I had to share with you. Anyway, I digress. But, you know, again, happy birthday to Jason. So I want to start off, and again, for the audience, I know we've spent 25 minutes not talking about oil and gas, but I think it's good to get to know each other. Now you know a lot about Jenna or Blair, Jenna Blair, and I think it's fascinating. So thank you for sharing those stories. Oh, yeah, Um, my pleasure. Yeah. So you sent me a very interesting email yesterday, and I'd love to start there. Then we can dive a little deeper into your story. And it was a post I made a post and then you had sent me an email and was like hey you know I listened to your first episode of Wicked Energy and it reminded you of your mission as to why you got into oil and gas and your purpose for making your presence in the industry known so I'd love for you to elaborate and just share that yeah so again when I first got introduced to oil and gas I had no idea how it worked. I mean, I knew what oil was and what it looked like. And I knew that you had to drill it to get it out of the ground, but I didn't know anything after that. And when I saw the aftermath of deep water, I really wanted to understand more. And I worked really hard, I think, to try and get into it the conventional way where basically everyone's like, you know, it's all about who you know, not what you know. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't know anybody at the time because I was fresh out of college. So I got into sales and I hated it. And I'm like, this is not what I want to do. Why did you hate sales? Well, I hated what I was selling because I didn't believe in it. 
that should be on a plaque in every office. If yeah. you don't believe in what you sell, you're in the wrong business. I didn't believe in it and I didn't believe in the person I was selling for. Okay. So anyway, so I tried all these different avenues and da 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 and I'm like, whatever, I'm just gonna be one step closer to oil and gas. I'm gonna be one step closer to oil and gas. Now I wanted to be in oil and gas at that time because I liked the idea of getting a fat paycheck. Of course. For those who are not in oil and gas, I always feel like I want to say this. The way that I like to describe it is before the aftermath of 2014, we might have taken our clients to Smith and Walensky, but let me assure you, we now take our clients to like Solata. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a different world. It is. No, um, that, and just to touch on that point, on a very macro level, you know, there's a lot of challenges right now with labor and talent yeah. and everything. And what's interesting, and I, and I talk, to a lot of people about this, and especially in the field. I came from the field as an 18-year-old. The reason I got into oil and gas mm -hmm. is because I didn't want to go back to school. I was right. like, unless you can pay me for partying, which you probably can't, I'm going to go work on a drilling rig and make way more money than anyone else could at my age yeah. and only really have to work like eight months of the year at most. Yeah. Now that's not the case. So to supplement that, the days of, and like you see that you know on the drilling operation side and, and even anything in the field, it's like, oh, you know, you could, if you had a high school degree and, and maybe not even, you could go make, you know, six figures easy. Sure. And whereas other industries you couldn't. But now in the age of technology, you could go work a minimum wage job working 30 hours a week, have a side hustle off your phone and yeah. make just as much as you could working on a drilling rig. So yeah. yeah, those days, I think that those days are gone. Yeah. So And I bring that up to just kind of go back to why I've ended up staying because I did almost leave during the pandemic. I mean, it was a really hard time for our industry. You know, we were dealing with furloughs. We were, you know, everybody was dealing with their companies laying off. And in those layoffs, you might have had half the size of a team, but your workload didn't change. Right. So, you know, kind of having to pick up after that. So I did almost leave to go into full-time real estate. But when I actually was sitting on the back patio with my husband having one of our live chats, I'm like, but I have to stay because... My mission, I believe, in why I'm in oil and gas and why I'm staying in it is because I was that one person that you would approach in a grocery store who didn't know anything about oil and gas. And there's still so much that I don't know, mm. but I truly believe that the fear of our industry is fed by lack of understanding and incorrect knowledge. So I believe that it's our job in the oil and gas industry to teach the masses on why they shouldn't be so afraid of what we're doing. Yeah. Because I believe if they understood what we were doing and how we did it mm. and why we did it, I think the narrative would drastically change. And I, you know, not to get massively political, but I believe that a lot of people are at such a disadvantage. And I believe politicians capitalize on that because yeah. they are able to speak to the naive and basically tell them whatever they want because the people who don't know better regurgitate what they're told by yeah. either someone of social media influence, someone of authority. And I was having this conversation with DRW when he was in for the SPE PBS. Yeah. And he was like, people speak in headlines. I'm like, they totally do. Yes. And no, they don't know so what different. they're, and then they share articles and there's so much misinformation. And, you know, my husband has his own podcast or has a podcast that he hosts, and it's called the Gulf Coast Growth Show. Cool. And he had former Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton on, and he was explaining the whole situation behind why we're not buying Russian oil, but why we need foreign oil. And it was essentially around the idea that the oil that we produce out of the Permian is not oil that our petrochem plants are set up to refine. Mm -hmm. So we have to have another form to mix. Yes. That's why we were buying foreign oil. So right. when people are talking about, you know, not being reliant on foreign oil, well, yeah, that can be true to a point, but the average person doesn't know that. And even when I heard that, I'm like, I knew that there was a reason for it, but now it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now imagine what that would do if it was on a massive level. Right. And then when, you know, when Washington is spreading a very irresponsible, naive narrative about, the major operators and how much they have an influence on what we're paying at the pump. Mm. Well, yeah, if you don't understand how oil and gas works, you're totally like, oh, I hate Chevron. Yeah. Well, okay, but actually dig in and understand how upstream, midstream and downstream works and mm -hmm. how the supply chain of all that works. And then you'll understand that while 
you might hear that repeatedly, that is not face value truth. Right. So, and then you bring up a ton of good points. And, you know, with the headline reading, it's like you said, most people are headline readers mm-hmm. and they draw conclusions based off what they read and then apply it to like super complex systems and problems, right? Sure. Which oil and gas is a perfect Very example. Complex, yeah. yeah. And like you, I mean, even through. I mean, I try and learn something every day or at least like expose myself to some good, credible information to understand the why, you know, whether it's gasoline prices, that's been, you know, a huge topic of discussion. National average has come down. But what I didn't understand was crack spreads, refining capacity. I didn't know anything about that until probably two, three months ago when my mother-in-law who's not in oil and gas, she's exposed to through it, you know, through me. But, Mm -hmm. you know, same thing is she leans pretty hard one way politically and like does a great job of at least trying to understand both sides sure so then asks me like so what are your thoughts on you know this gas stuff like are people price gouging and so i had to i was like look i'm not an expert in gasoline prices i can drill a well but (laughs) so let's look into this together and then it led me kind of to do my own research and i was like oh okay i get it but i think to your point most people are not going to do their own research. No. Right? Most people are going to argue whether they're going to scroll Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and then whatever they engage with, naturally the algorithm is going to feed them more of that. So how, and this is a question I have for a lot of people, is like, how can we continue to educate? Because it's one thing that you and I can sit here and like, you know, beat our chest about how awesome oil and gas is or how important it is or this, that, and the other, like whatever it is, but to properly educate people, you need to expose this information to people who are actually a willing to listen yeah, and be like, okay, perhaps getting information that may alter their train of thought that they've been fed. And I sometimes fall into that on the renewable side, right? Like yeah, as much as I'd like to think the people in my industry are the only smart people in the world, mm-hmm. that's not the reality. And yeah. so like, there are some very intelligent, smart economists, scientists who are very much saying, hey, unless we get rid of fossil fuels, we're going to face some serious problems down the road. Sure. I can't sit here and be like, you're wrong. You need oil and gas. Like there's got to be some validity to that. And Mm -hmm. I think for me is like, I need to do a good job of like trying to understand like, and that's where I, you know, anyone out there listening, if there's someone who is very much anti oil and gas, this is wicked energy and everyone deserves access to energy, whether that comes from oil and gas, whether that comes from renewables, whether it comes from anything, I want to learn and I want my audience to learn. But I feel like there's a good amount of validity to everything. It's just depending on the person's goals or the company's goals or the government's goals, then it kind of starts to skew things. But so I guess the question I have for you is, is how can we as an industry educate in a kind, empathetic way instead of constantly being like, you need us and everyone else is just dumb. Like, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? What I think fueled my passion for this was the way that I learned. So when I first got into oil and gas, I sold hotshot for a while and that was kind of my way of biding my time. So I learned a little bit about, or actually a lot about logistics Mm. and how that's kind of in my mind, really one of the backbones of our country. Yes. And then I got into software sales and oil and gas and sold a digitizing well log software and learned about well logs. And I learned how to build cross sections and I learned how to pick tops and I learned how to read a gamma ray resistivity log. Then I went from that to core and fluid analysis at Weatherford Labs, now Stratum. And I learned about core analysis. I learned about what you have to understand from a piece of rock drilled 10,000 feet below your feet. And once I started to learn them, I almost learned it into building blocks. And I started to connect it almost like Legos into a, a really bigger picture. And that's how I try to teach people in my circle that don't know about oil and gas. Like I fell in love with the energy industry, but more so with exploration and production when I took a petroleum geology for non geologist class. Cool. And the way that they explained it to me, it's like, I cannot drive in the hill country now and drive in Austin and San Antonio and be on the Guadalupe and not be an absolute marvel with the rock that I'm seeing on the side of the highway because I now have a deeper appreciation for it because I understand how it works. Wow. So I believe our responsibility with teaching, I mean, I think it's, you can't speak at them, but I 
do believe that there's a way that we can teach people. And I think they have to understand almost in like a simplistic one plus one equals two. But, you know, there are people who don't even understand how small when I'm driving on the highway and I learned this in logistics, when I'm driving on the highway, I see an 18 wheeler and I see an 18 wheeler with a whole bunch of little pipes on it. That's casing. Mm -hmm. That casing is about to go into the ground because there's a well being drilled. But an average person is going to think a well being drilled is the size of this building. Mm. And that's really not the case. Interesting. So I think just starting at kind of the ground level and look, I can't sit there and educate someone on drilling fluids, but I can educate someone on geology. I can educate someone on why it's important to understand fluid behavior. Yeah. Because I mean, that's my experience. I can speak to it. So I say all that to say we can educate people stay in your lane because I think that yeah. could get you into trouble if you're not. But of course. I believe the people that are highly successful in this industry and in any industry really, but specifically in this industry is because there's a deep respect for how it works because there is a intimate understanding. Yeah, And I think without all that, there's going to be a huge miss in understanding the importance of petroleum in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. You know, I don't think people know how, like if we were without it, you'd be without so much that you take for granted, you know, mm-hmm. buildings, schools, backpacks, yeah, shoes, tires, yeah, booster seats for your children. <laughs> right. You know, there's just so much that it touches, but I don't think people really understand that. Right. And a lot of the stuff that you're mentioning is stuff that we have access to here in the U.S. And right. what I think a lot of people sort of just kind of overlook or perhaps just don't take time to really think about is so there's a gentleman on LinkedIn that I noticed made a comment on one of my posts. And if it's someone that's new that I haven't engaged with before, I always check out their profile and say, hey, oh, maybe sure. it's, I can make another good connection. And it was a gentleman from Africa who now lives in Beaumont. Mm-hmm. And he made mention, I think it was, I made mention of some, like people at some parts of the world don't have access to energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tying that into like oil and gas is like really important for, you know, emerging economies right. who need access to like abundant energy and something that's reliable and resourceful and perhaps, you know, sort of touching on that. And so he reached out and was like, Hey, like, thank you for like noting that, you know, that's really important. This and that. And I said, man, I said, you want to hop on a zoom call? Like, I'm interested to hear more. Like you come from a place that I'm not familiar with, but I've heard that over there, it can be very challenging. So he was very much like, Oh, I would love to like, thank Mm -hmm. you. So again, long story short. So we got on the zoom call and I'm like, man, where are you from? And how'd you get to the U S and so he's here, you know, taking his masters and he's trying to essentially build a network and a community of people that will hopefully invest in oil and gas in Africa. Mm-hmm. And so I said, man, like, I'm curious from someone like yourself who comes from part of the world that doesn't have access to the things we have here in the U.S. What's your thoughts on like the sort of the energy transition? Like, is that even talked about? And he was saying that, like, when he sees that he feels for him, it's like a punishment. It's like we're trying to get access just to even basic needs of like having electricity for hospitals. Yeah. But yet you're going to say, no, you can't have that. You need to like develop, you know, different grids for, you know, micro grids using solar or this and that and stuff that they just don't quite have readily available, nor do they have the capital, the investment, everything else. Yeah. But they have, they're sitting on a ton of resources under their feet It's like, why are you going to punish us and tell us we can't have this and that it's going to ruin the environment when like there's like moms that can't even feed their kids at night barely because they can't see, they don't have heating oil. Like, and I was just like, wow, like there's 850 million people that don't have access to clean water. Think of how many people even in the U S don't even have access to like air conditioning or, you know, all of that. So again, it's like if people could just kind of sometimes sit back and think, Hey, if we could just. Yes, doing things sustainably and doing things efficiently and trying to reduce carbon footprint, I think is extremely important. Yeah. But let's also consider people who are just trying to get their basic needs met (laughs) before saying, you know, let's just completely replace fossil fuels. Well, it's all about perspective, right? I mean, it's not a one shoe fits all solution. And I don't think anything really should be because if there is a one size fits all solution, then you probably don't have the right perspective because there's an array of so many things that are going to change availability of some sort, you know? So 
Yeah, I think perspective is a lot of it. And I think having the mindset to want to reach out to somebody and learn more is something that should be celebrated. And it's also something that I encourage other people to do because I started to do the same thing. Like 2022 for me has been a year of leaning in to things that scare me and things that I, you know, getting out of my comfort zone. And a lot of that is I've really had to humble myself, you know, in terms of I don't know it all. I can't do it all. I'm not perfect at it all. And there's so much that I don't know. So when it comes to things I don't understand, I'm making it a point to reach out to people who might understand it. So I, you know, can change my perspective. And there is nothing that I like. I'm a staunch believer in a couple of things. But there's more things often than not that my perception will change once my perspective changes. Yeah. All based on the fact that I'm getting facts that I didn't have before or I'm getting perspective that I didn't even think about. Mm-hmm. No, that's, I mean, it, perspective is, I mean, it's kind of a loose term and it's a blanket statement, but having the right perspective or a different perspective can ultimately change your mindset, which can lead you down a completely different path Sure. and allow you to make decisions that you maybe otherwise wouldn't have made before. Right. So I'm curious, it's a question that I like to ask is, do you have any core beliefs that you've changed your mind on over the last few years related to energy? Again, whether it's policy, whether it's technology, whether it's markets, I mean, anything's just like in general with energy, have you kind of changed your mind over or at least kind of had a bit of a different perspective or is it, is everything pretty still? Well, I didn't really have a perspective. It's all been kind of framed by all of the different roles that I've had in the industry. I will say the mixture of exposure that I got in the lab area and what I now have at Drill to Frack it's allowing me to really frame my idea around hydraulic fracturing because now I'm I'm actually learning how it works. Cool. So that's probably the only thing that's really changed my core belief. It's not that I was ever anti-fracking by any means, but I didn't really understand it enough to speak to it. Cool. And I still really don't, but I have more exposure to it now than I did before. So it's allowed me to really filter what I'm hearing and seeing in the news and in social media and the stuff that the White House will say and things like that. It's interesting when you hear that because then you actually raise an eyebrow and you're like, I don't think you know how this works. <laughs> right. I know. So with that, and I want to talk about drill the frack here in a sec, but I'm curious, what do you think is the biggest challenge that we as an industry face currently? Oh, there's a lot. I think we face the challenge of teaching. I'm bringing that up again. Yeah, um, no, it's very fitting. (laughs) Yeah. Look at the Energy Strong Initiative. You know, I saw that on LinkedIn a while ago and now it's really blown up. Like we need more of that because I think that is our absolute biggest challenge. I don't think that we're going to get the policies we need passed in Washington, D.C. without people understanding. And that includes congressmen and senators. They might be elected, but they don't know everything either. I think they have a lot of room to be educated. The voters, I think they have a lot of room to be educated. And it's not like I'm trying to get on a political soapbox, but I mean, we're a democracy, right? That's how this country works. Mm -hmm. And we've seen a lot of upheaval in the last two administrations, I guess. And we're going from, you know, polar right to polar left. Yeah. And I don't think that that's going to be mitigated unless people really start to think for themselves. And I think our society has really lost that. So I think that's the biggest hurdle our industry faces Yeah, is getting over our big, bad oil and gas vision that everybody has of us, you know, yeah. and it's kind of like the idea, you know, it's for the Aggies that might be listening. They'll probably get this. I went to A&M for a year and it was one of those like, you don't get it unless you're one of us because from the outside, we look like a cult, you know, but on the inside, you get the spirit and all this stuff. I think it's kind of the same thing with oil and gas. I don't think yeah. you get it unless you're in it. Right. But not everybody's going to be in it. So right. if we don't educate the public and we don't educate even our politicians and we don't take charge of the narrative ourselves, I think we're going to be in big trouble. Yeah. No, I think so too. And educating is tough because I think people tie emotion into it 100%. oftentimes. And then especially on social media. Yeah. Anyone out there who's trying to educate, again, I come from like a place of like, do it with kindness and do it yeah. with like, try. And a lot of times educating can't just happen in a transactional conversation. Sure. It happens over time, building relationships with people, showing them, hey, you're not a bad person. Mm-hmm. You also work in oil and gas. And then 
you know, just be open to conversation to where hopefully people can then start asking you questions. You know, my wife is in the real estate space and so her network expands far beyond people in oil and gas. Most sure. of her people that she communicates with have nothing to do with oil and gas. But what's cool is that a lot of the people that are within her community then started following me, maybe listened to the podcast yeah. and reached out and was like, hey, you know, just through connecting with Nicole and then connecting with you, like you guys are such a great people and I've learned a little bit about oil and gas and wow, like you've actually changed my mind on the industry and I'm releasing an episode, I think next week with a gentleman, his name is Nkrumah, he lives in Oklahoma and, you know, growing up he was sort of, he had been exposed to, you know, an environment that wasn't pro oil and gas. So like he sure. was like, oh, I hate oil and gas, but he was just like, I never really understood it and, you know, most of my, I guess, social circle, you know, we're, you know, part of a certain demographic and Mm -hmm. therefore like, it's just, you know, part of our environment was like, didn't know anything to do with it. And so, okay, cool. And then through talking and him learning about the podcast and I brought him onto the podcast to share his experience about like, you know, how he went from thinking one way to now thinking another. And now he's like, yeah, like I actually wish I would have like, I wish I would have been exposed to this type of information because I probably would have pursued a career in oil and gas. Like, I didn't realize how critical it is for our country. Yeah. And it's like, okay, wow. Like, if I just, like, stop doing everything I'm doing and help change his mind and perspective, mm-hmm. to which then he can help educate his kids, like, I feel like I've done a good job of at least changing a few generations to where yeah. then they can make their own decisions instead of just being like, well you know, my parents or my friends or they think this way. And so therefore I'm going to think this way. Mm -hmm. So, but again, it's like, you know, I didn't tell him or tell people like, this is what you have to think, but it's more just being open and being kind. And then people naturally like start asking questions like, Oh, you, you seem like somewhat of an authority or someone who's an expert in their field. Like, what do you think about gasoline prices? Like, I'm curious to hear your thought. And then it's like, okay, wow. Like I never thought of that. So, but again, we're so, I think so many people, have such thick skin to where it's like, you know, us against the world. And, you know, there's a, and I respect the living shit out of a lot of people that have a loud voice in our industry. Uh However, I know people who have listened to them and I don't want to call people out, but it's like, I don't like them. Like what they're saying makes sense, but their delivery is so like belittling. I don't like that. And so that's what I have a problem with. It's like, I get you're passionate and I get that like you have the world of experience and you probably know more than everyone else. But the way you talk down to like other demographics and other opposing views, you're not going to win anybody over like that. No, I agree with that. I've had a couple of people who have had exposure through social media on oil and gas. And it's been very in your face, I guess, is the best way to say it. Yeah, good point. You know, the best way I can relate to how I think it's best to educate is take health and wellness, for example, right? So my husband and I are both former competitors. Like Uh we've done, we've done the nutrition track. We've done all of that. Like we've done muscle mind can like, you name it, we can talk about it, right? Okay, cool. But then you look at how bad diets. You look at all this crap that's on social media and they're, you know, like people who go no carb, like don't even get me started on that. That drives me up a freaking wall. We could could do another topic on health and fitness. Seriously. But it all comes down to education because people don't understand that muscle is made of water and protein. You need water and you need protein. People don't understand when they start a diet and they lose 12 pounds. Honey, that's water weight. Mm -hmm. That is nothing. Right. But it all comes down to education because you don't know what you don't know. Yes. And I think people are so much more open to hearing things that are non-confrontational. Yeah. And oil and gas is confrontational. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. So you have to be, you have to be very, I think you have to be very strategic with how you choose to educate about our industry. Great point. Because it is, it's a confronting industry. Yeah. That's a great just way to put it. And is it's, it's. I don't know why, but it's always been so confrontational and it just drives me nuts. And, you know, hopefully folks like yourself and me and, and anyone else who's in our space trying to make a difference can do it the right way. Yeah. Just be kind people. Yeah, I know. It's like kindness always <laughs> Takes wins. no energy. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no uh, pun intended. Right. So, you know, before we close out, we're getting close to the hour here, but I do want to yeah. give you the opportunity to talk about Drill the Frat because you guys are up to some really fascinating stuff. And so- yes. Yeah, just give a high level overview of like, you know, what it is you guys offer and ultimately how that makes a difference and then Mm -hmm. adds value to the marketplace. 
Yeah. So drill to frack has been around for a while. I think we've been around since 2015. So we actually started as the back office for CNJ. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So we separated from that and became our own entity. In 2017, we had our first application depleted fracture identification go commercial, mm. which most people who hear drill to frack have probably heard depleted fracture identification. So basically what we do, and I honestly think what we do is the coolest thing since sliced bread. So basically what we do is we take an operator's drilling data and we're able to generate a log that we call OmniLog, which is what we call our rock MSE. So mechanical specific energy of the rock. Basically you're varying rock strengths throughout your entire lateral. It's going to be most relative to confined compressive strength. And we are also able to detect a very unique and specific signature in child wells that alludes to existing localized depletion in their infills, whether it's from hydraulic fracture induced from an offset producer or parent, or whether it's, you know, a sort of natural feature that's already been depleted. And then we're also able to model, we have a near well bore simulator. So everything that we're doing is focused on the near well bore. I call it the new rock properties. That's basically what we're doing. It's been more widely accepted over the last two years. This year, we actually just closed out our best quarter in company history. Congrats. So we've, yeah, so we've been making some really big strides and some big growth. Operators are using it to be proactive. So they're getting this data. They're knowing where their completion hazards are before they frack. They're able, we do have a real-time platform in the Corva app. But a lot of that is allowing operators, too, to be able to watch their completions real time. They have a completion hazards track and an Omnilog in their hand. They're able to see where the hazard's about to come up. They're able to decide before something happens if they're going to mitigate, how they're going to mitigate. And or it actually provides a lot of value after the fact. If they do go through a completion, something goes awry, they don't know what caused it, we're able to come in and we're able to highlight how the varying rock strengths and heterogeneity in that well actually affected their completions, how it affected their completions, and how they can avoid that unwanted happening moving forward. Wow. So it's a very proactive data set. We're answering questions that the industry's been asking, but we answered it, I think, before they were ready to hear it. Right. Uh, okay. Maybe not the best way to say that, but yeah. So a lot of our stuff is focused on the near well bore. So it's pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. Is, is that, I mean, Along with that space and sort of that vertical within the oil and gas space, yeah. what would you say is the most exciting part about that, like from an emerging technology perspective? Like, is there, like, where do you see the future going with, I mean, because what you're doing now obviously is fascinating, but is there yeah. something like, what is the progression over time to like kind of the vision behind what you guys are doing? So eventually I believe that we'll be an every well solution. This is something that, especially when it comes to the Omnilog operators, would want to run on every single well. What we do and our deliverables are not meant to be a replacement to what an operator is already going to be doing in terms of data gathering before they execute completions. We're meant to be a value add. So I believe that we will eventually be an every well solution. And because we do have the ability with our near wellbore simulator, which we call FlowFX, to model fluid distribution based on depletion or your heterogeneity, I also think that that's going to change the name of the game in terms of completions efficiency. So uh, down the road, we're going to be every well solution for yeah. sure. I mean, completions efficiency is huge because, yeah. I mean, I don't know the, the specific numbers, but I do know that you know the actual economically recoverable versus the technically recoverable, there's a right. huge gap there. So if we right. can you know, bring that gap and that spread closer and closer. I mean, ultimately you want to get as much out of a single well as possible. Sure. I mean, less wells, the better, more production, the better. How can you get, you know, one well completing a lot more. Right. And so, you know, with folks like yourself and mm-hmm. anyone else who's really making a big push to increase the efficiency, the automation, and just understanding what's happening subsurface, yeah. I think is fascinating because that's what's going to continue to advance our industry. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, big shout out to Drill the Frack. Is Drill the Frack on, I'm assuming LinkedIn, any other social media platform? So if people are interested to get to know more about Drill the Frack, how can they reach out or get to know more? So we are on LinkedIn. You can find myself. I jokingly say I'm half of the sales team. <laughs> nice. But you can connect with our general manager, Meg Dodge. Our CTO, Kevin Wetherich, is pretty well known in the industry. Okay. You can connect with him as well. He's actually the brains behind depleted fracture identification. Okay. 
so yeah, you can find us all on LinkedIn. I've really pushed that with everybody. Yeah. So well, I'll make sure and put yeah. uh, your link and all the other links yeah, that you mentioned on the show notes. That way people can just scroll and click and connect, ask questions. Hopefully are you guys on TikTok yet? No, ah, you're missing out. You know, I have a TikTok account. <laughs> I've never come up with one. And my husband's like, you need to start doing like singing reels or something. Oh. I'm like, Man, but when do I have the time? While you're driving. That's QHSE though. Safety rules. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you're right. Absolutely. I didn't think that through. Maybe when you're at an extended stoplight. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, maybe not while you're driving, whatever. When you're on your porch hanging out with your husband, he can do like even once. So I was listening to a podcast this morning and they were talking about, so I listen to a lot of marketing podcasts because I love marketing and everything about it. There was a lady who actually, funny enough, she started a, so she grew up singing. Uh Then she started a TikTok account of her singing every morning in the morning she'd wake up to her thing whatever before she left she would do a quick like you know sing whatever and it grew and now she's blown up and everything else so literally i'm sure you could find like 15 seconds to just like hit a few notes you know i won't lie i have so many videos in my phone because i videoed myself doing the national anthem for a dinner and then (laughs) you already have the content you just gotta throw it on it uh, why i don't know Hey, all right, okay, so this let's get into this. <laughs> like, do you I value the, the judgment Idol thing, man? Oh, you know, no, I don't fear their judgment. I used to. My biggest fear was being the dumbest person in the room, which I you still know, fear whatever. That. It's okay. Yeah, no, it's not the judgment so far because, at the risk of sounding cocky, I've put a lot of time and effort into my voice and you just, just share it with the world. Yeah, man, I don't really, I don't worry about that. But they're like the deep down, like the, the American Idol thing is still there. I think so. You need to lean into your fear and just I think so. like break it down. Because like at church, it's different because it's not about me, right? Right. So, That's true, right? It's, it's so very different. selfless and it's, yeah. there's a it's greater very, purpose. very, very different. But, but I still... Like think- even podcasts, I'm totally comfortable with it because it's audio. <laughs> right, right. Well... I still think you, I'm going to bug you every once in a while and be like, hey, what's your TikTok handle? I don't see any videos up. But real quick, too. You don't know what it is. <laughs> mention your podcast because you're oh, starting a podcast. I am. Okay. So I ran into Justin at the SPE PBS and told him I you know, was thinking about podcasts. And he goes, just do it. And I left. And again, 2022 is my year of leaning into things that yeah. scare the shit out of me. Yeah. This is one of them. Okay. Which is surprising because you're very much open and like talking. I am. And you're yeah. Not, you know. So anyway. So I, go. yeah. So for those who have been following me on LinkedIn, you've seen my hashtag life savvy. So my podcast is going to be life savvy. Love it. There is nothing we won't cover. So it's not yes. going to be specific to oil and gas. Okay. We're going to talk about grief. We're going to talk about marriage and divorce. We're going to talk about blended families. We're going to wow. talk about oil and gas. We're going to talk about politics. So everything. We're going to talk about religion. Yeah. We're going to talk about everything because it's life savvy. Yeah. So so guns, politics, and yeah. what's the other religion? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I so love it. <laughs> my mom is going to be my first guest. That's really cool. Yeah. So I'm really excited and I'm you know, I'm just going to buy the equipment and I'm just going to ask people if they want to have a conversation, record it, so see what happens. All, it's going to be mostly interviews? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, because you could, you don't really need equipment if you're just going to do it over, like, if you're going to do it live, or I mean, sorry, if you're going to do it in person like we are, then obviously yeah. you need the equipment, but... I plan on doing it in person. I like person. For the most part, yeah. yeah. Especially but for the marriage stuff. So yeah, you. so we're going to do that and there's nothing off limits. Perfect. Have you set a date for launching so people can be on their phones ready for the date that you're going to launch? So no, but I have my first interview scheduled when I get back from vacation in August. So I plan on launching Q4, sometime in Q4. And I'm solely doing this because it scares the crap out of me. So I'm leaning into it. Yes. Um, Life savvy. I'm really excited. Yeah. Jenna Blair Lee. Life savvy. I love it. Well, good. Yeah. Well, with that said, you know, for the listeners, thank you again for joining us. December 1st. I'll just made that up. December. We're going to make it December 1st. What? Should be like November. You said Q4, not Q1. Q4 is December. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> we'll talk more. Um, but again, appreciate everyone listening. Thank you so much for the support. All the folks that followed me from Oil and Gas on Shore to Wicked Energy, thank you very much. And for all the new listeners, 
I'm humbled. Thank you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or if you have any good guests that you'd like me to reach out to to interview, let me know. And again, with all that being said, Jenna, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been fun. And hopefully I didn't take up too much of your time. Um, You know, normally I like to try and respect people's time and keep it around 45 minutes, but you've been such a champ and I really enjoyed you singing. That was fun. Oh Lord, I can't believe I did that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's been great. Well, I encourage everyone to connect with Jenna and follow her. And when she starts her podcast, subscribe, review, and spread the good word. And with that said, always remember, everyone deserves access to energy and we is greater than me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. And look, if you or your organization wants to start a podcast, please visit my website and sign up for a free guide on how to start a successful podcast. Once you get through it, let me know if you have any questions or in getting started. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.